Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Long Island Bunker. Folks, there are some days where rage collapse into grief and grief collapses into despair. And the conversation that I have to offer you all next with our friend Jonathan Metzl, it's one of those days where I am struggling and realize that I am having an emotional reaction in real time, which you will see to the conversation that Jonathan and I have with regard to the latest mass shooting in Colorado Springs at Club Q. I try really hard to provide all of you with information, community, conversations that make you feel less alone, less crazy, and something that gives you a, yeah, okay, this is what we can do, or yes, I feel this way too moment as you're listening to the show. Today, I'm going to be honest, I am really just sad. I am really sad and tired of covering mass shootings, particularly ones that are aimed at communities that I'm a part of. I wish that this country was better. I wish that our politicians, all of them, gave a shit about saving actual lives, not just pretending. I wish that people who stoke violence like Lauren Boebert and Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar and the entirety of the Republican Party were held accountable for the crimes that they are committing, not only against their constituents, but against this country. 
I wish that for every single tweet and statement that went out with pictures of politicians posing with weapons of mass destruction, that they were fined, that they were tried as accomplices or accessories after the fact. I wish that there were penalties for their criminal speech and behavior that gives cover and purpose to people whose only desire is to cause pain and devastation and fear. There is no safer space or haven for queer people than queer spaces. For many people, particularly that are living inside of red states and redder counties, that one queer bar center gathering place is the only time when they can feel safe inside of their own skin in their own bodies. Because whether it's going into a grocery store, going into a place of worship or a school, as a queer person and for folks who are visibly queer, meaning that there can be no assumption based on how people are looking at you, you walk around with a target on your back. Because of people like Donald Trump, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mike Pence, and others that use religion as the shield for their bigotry and hate. Who want to cape for those who want the ability to discriminate and dehumanize. And then want to turn around and offer their thoughts and fucking prayers as if it does a damn thing or it fucking matters. I wish that those people knew what it was like to be the only one in a room and space and feel in fear of how other people are going to react to you. Because I feel that if everyone experienced that level of fear, then maybe those that have the power to do something about it fucking would. But what am I, I'm assuming that most human beings have empathy. And what I realize about the Republican Party is that they are void of that. When I posted on Twitter, which, by the way, as you all know, has become increasingly a sewer, and I don't know how much longer I will choose to be on the platform. I don't want to cede ground to the far right, but I also don't want to expose myself to a level of toxicity and verbal abuse uh, in order to prove a point and continue to make a vapid egomaniac richer. Nonetheless, when I posted about the shooting at Club Q, I had some asshole decide to comment and say, oh, well, you know, I, I like how you only come out on one side of gun violence. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Do you think that this is some type of fucking conversation like competition? People should feel safe. I don't give a fuck who you pray to who you sleep with, how you identify. I don't care. 
You should be able to be in your home, leave your home, leave your community, go shopping, go get a drink, go to a movie theater, go to a synagogue, go to a temple, go to a mosque. You should be able to feel safe. That should be the marking of an industrialized society, of a democracy. That it isn't just the freedom to wield and take photos with your fucking cosplay bullshit AR-15s, but that the rest of us should be able to feel safe in our own skin. And the fact that we don't, the fact that in this society we would rather teach children active shooter drills than do anything about actual active shooters, the fact that we want to put together policies on red flag laws that in the last two fucking shootings have done dick to prevent them? We're not a civilized country. I don't even know what that means when people want to talk about civilized or, you know, developed. If anything, America is fucking developing. It is an underdeveloped society because it is not one that is marked with empathy. It is not one that is marked with love. It is not one that is marked with safety. Not even for those that are carrying around the AR-15s and the fucking bazookas to go to Starbucks because that's how fucking small they are in their real lives that they need external validation. We refuse to have real conversations about where this shit is coming from. So let's all pretend and pause for the thoughts and fucking prayers that don't do shit. What I want, I want a class action lawsuit from the people of these United States that are sick of the fucking NRA, that are sick of the politicians that are bolstered up and get rich off of their ignorance to the larger scope and problem because the mouths around their table are fed, overfed at that. Because apparently the only way that this is going to stop is that for those that are creating the policies to consistently be harmed and live in fear at the same level that the rest of us live. Or to somehow be fucking held accountable and one of those motherfuckers to go in jail because their tweets and their statements that they're putting out can be directly linked to the violence that is escalating in this country. Because until those people are held responsible, none of this is going to change. It is just going to get worse. And I'm tired of trying to appeal to people's emotions when I realize that they are emotionless. They just don't give a fuck. So I want to go after the gun manufacturers. I want to go after the lobby sets. I want to go after the politicians. I want to pull up their social media, their voices. And you tell me that they don't matter because these are the same fucking people that are going into libraries and schools to ban books. Because they believe that those books and the acceptance and inclusion of people from marginalized communities is somehow going to shift people's thinking. Yeah, it will. It'll make them more inclusive. It'll make them more empathetic. It'll make them more loving. And God forbid we have that because then you won't be able to capitalize on fucking fear. I'm sick to death of this country. I'm sick to death of inaction. I'm sick to death of the thoughts and prayers. And you will hear in the conversation coming up next with our friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, 
that our disassociation does not mean that we don't care. It is the place that we're moving to in order to have self-preservation because no one can exist in this cyclical state of grief on a regular basis. I don't know what else to say today, friends, except to take care of yourselves, take care of each other as you choose to gather with chosen family or blood family and friends. Recognize that these moments are really fleeting. They are really fleeting. And there are too many people that are going to have too many empty seats around their table that could have been avoided if we gave a shit. Folks, you know that whenever I have the opportunity to sit down with our friend, our in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, uh, I am always greatly appreciative. And Jonathan, you know, it seems that every week that we talk, uh, it is on the heels of tragedy. I I don't know what else to say about it. Um, Folks, we're coming and recording this uh, just days after um, the mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado that took the lives of five of the patrons uh, at Club Q in Colorado Springs, uh, injuring, I think, roughly 19 uh, that we know of at this point. And Jonathan, you know, I just, before we get into any of the specifics, I just want to get your reactions. You know, I'm assuming like, like me, uh, your phone was buzzing, uh, the, the, the morning following the shooting with alerts, uh, from different outlets. So what was your, what were your initial reactions? I mean, first of all, it's impossible to experience this outside the context of the anti-queer, anti-trans hate that is you know, always been brewing in our country, but has now reached a, a truly fatal level. And so the context is important because I understand it has flashbacks for a lot of people to the Pulse shooting in, in Colorado, um, but this is a much more dangerous time, even though the um, fatality numbers were considerably less than the Pulse shooting. But, but, but in the context of what is really kind of acceptable hate right now, I, I feel like the implications, the kind of broader implications of this are are just incredible, right? I mean, we there are a lot of people with guns. There are a lot of very unstable people out there. And they're, in a way, being given a kind of carte blanche, in a way. I mean, we don't know anything about the story here. And I'm sure it'll, it'll be a unique story the way it always is. And there'll also be remnants of other stories of histories of violence and misogyny and guns and stuff. But the context right now is just breathtaking because even in the pulse shooting, if you look back at what happened then, it wasn't just the outpouring of support, which is what we see now, but also a kind of mobilization of the system that should work to protect people um, and particularly people who are most at risk by the system. And now this is in the context of a very unstable political environment that that basically gains and monetizes anti-queer, anti-trans hate, and a commu- I mean, the Colorado Springs honestly has been an incredible response as far as I can tell. 
but it's in the context of a county that is a so-called Second Amendment sanctuary zone where you can't enforce any gun laws whatsoever. And so all that support is in the context of a framework that really literally doesn't enable anybody to do anything about it. You know, I I, I have to say that um, while the numbers, to, to your point about the pulse shooting that happened in Florida uh, that claimed 49 lives, um, that when we think about it just in the context of numbers, we think to ourselves, well, you know, it, it wasn't as bad. And I was speaking earlier, um, and the person that I was speaking to said, the headline came across and I didn't even allow myself to be sad. I was just in full on rage and anger. Because the very idea that five people being shot isn't as isn't as bad as 49 or 17 or 19 children or 18 children is just like a grappling that emotionally, spiritually, we shouldn't have to do. Right? That like that that you know, part and parceling out tragedy shouldn't be a part of our just normal existence in this country. And yet it is. And so Jonathan, I just want to, I want to talk about that kind of the, the, the gaps that we're having in our emotional sentiments as we deal with one mass shooting after the next, what I realized as I was getting ready to share, you know, on social media, my thoughts, this only comes six months after the Buffalo shooting. It only comes, you know, a handful of months after Uvalde. In between that was a shooting that happened at the parade that, you know, that picked off people on the 4th of July holiday. Like it's just the inundation and then our inability to actually grieve. Can you just speak to speak to that? Um, Because I think that it's it's important. And I think that we also beat ourselves up about the fact that like there's just so much grief that we're not even really touching that emotion in the way that we used to. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a framework that people often use to talk about these kind of things. And I feel like it's useful and it's also not useful. Um, The idea of post-traumatic stress disorder is that you have a repeated response to a threat of death or hearing news about it or being close to it. But the, the response in PTSD is a, is a, hypervigilance, exaggerated startle response. You're like on edge. And really what we're seeing is post-traumatic stress dissociation in a way that people are so numb that in a way when it's coming at you so often, it's like exactly like whoever sent you that message said, you, you feel less in a way. And so we're having a kind of dissociation to the horror and trauma of all of this in a way that is not it completely linked to what people do in war zones, but it is Mm. reminiscent of it in a way that, um, in a way, if you felt, if you felt this all the time, you really couldn't function. And so in that sense, it's, it's not PTSD because the trauma is ongoing and we're dissociating. And I think that's part of what's happening. Um, but then the, the other issue is, um, just, you know, the, the, the initial PTSD studies were done in military theaters, right? That 
people mm-hmm. who were flying airplanes in Vietnam, if they if they flew five hours of sorties where they were facing anti-aircraft fire and thought they were going to die, they had a 5% chance of getting PTSD. They flew 50 hours, they had a 50% chance of getting PTSD. And here, and so the, the, the basically the symptoms correlated with the amount of time you thought your life was at risk. And then you flew back to the base and you could feel safe. And then, you know, that was like, a, there's a beginning and end. And here, people across America feel safe never. They don't feel safe in a mm. bus coming back from a field trip with their Virginia football team. They don't feel safe going to a parade in Chicago. They have to look over their shoulder in what should be the safest space, a queer bar where people are just there to celebrate and feel camaraderie and feel support across the community. So these really safe spaces, I mean, that's, of course, what gives mass shootings their horror and their power, their acts of, of um, you know, not, not just violence, but they're acts of a particular kind of violence that really rupture the safety of that kind of safe, the safest spaces are the ones where you're the most vulnerable. But it really, that's the question, where can you feel safe? Because you never get to fly home to your base. I mean, that just description and that articulation, like tears just came to my eyes, Jonathan, because mm. I'm recognizing that that is really true, that what you're saying with regard to post-traumatic stress is, is this um, a reaction that doesn't necessarily match the trauma in itself and the fact that we're consistently traumatized and consistently living on edge, that disassociation isn't us not wanting to care. It's the fact that we can't have nonstop grief. Right. Um, and so I wondered then my question to you is that if, if, if we can't have nonstop grief and we have to disassociate as a way of self-preservation, which is what it sounds like, then how do we, I don't know. I I guess the, the question is how do we move forward with the same type of organization and strategy to end gun violence when it just gets worse and gets more persistent. Like I, I, you know, I I keep seeing all these headlines you and I have talked about on the show, like, you know, children and their levels of anxiety and prescriptions that are being given out. Um, and because of these compacted tragedies, we we've, we've talked about this honestly, and I just don't even know if we, are disassociating to the point of just being able to make it through? What does that mean about our ability to actually muster the strength to stop this? It's interesting if you do what I do, right? I study gun policy. And then after these shootings, people will interview me and say, what about red flag laws? What about background checks? And I give the answer because I think they're important and they're what we have. But it's so clear that there's no policy that's going to stop this from happening right now. I mean, we have more guns than people by far. We have more mass shootings than days in the calendar year by a considerable amount. And so it's not like there's one policy. And in in this shooting in particular shows that because something like what's called a red flag law, people aren't enforcing it. They're not, the law doesn't enforce it. People are reluctant to call authorities on their relatives. And so this is a particular sign to me that 
the policy interventions that we have, which were made out of compromise, trying to create a middle ground, um, just don't work. And and so the issue is, why don't they work? Should we just enforce those policies? And I guess I just think of the places that have faced this kind of trauma, nothing on our scale, but this kind of trauma, Australia, Scotland, et cetera, et cetera. And really what those are marked by is not any particular policy. It's people on all sides coming to the table to negotiate and find some kind of middle ground where there's some compromise. And and we just don't have that process. And so as much as we shout frustration about the fact that in, in this case, Colorado has a red flag law, it wasn't followed for whatever reason, um, but it's not going to well, be- I mean, what I, I, at least- yeah. Let me just jump in for a second because at least what I've heard, right, and again, we're still receiving details and, and trying to piece together the why, but I think, you know, the why is to me obvious, but um, is that in both the shooting in Virginia with the, with the football team and both this Colorado spring shooting, there were flags, sure. right? There was the... In, in the Virginia at the university, the the shooter was flagged for having talked about guns and said that they owned a gun. And but because no violent action had been taken, the officers on the university's campus said there was nothing that we could do. Similarly, in Colorado Springs, it was like. There was a flag. There were potentially a connection with bomb threats that were made, you know, in previous years. And it, it, so it's like, I guess, what is the purpose if, if red flags are literally to send up a flare? This person is potentially dangerous, but then we're not actually going to take action until the violence occurs. Then what's the point of there being a red flag? The, you know, the, the Biden gun reform efforts are based on many things, but one is really bolstering red flag laws. I share your concern and your critique about them um, very deeply, right? Because, I mean, let's just be honest, you, you don't get to become a mass murderer overnight. There are concerning symptoms in everybody who gets to that stage, but the problem is in part a numbers game, right? That for everybody who shows those symptoms and then mm -hmm. becomes a mass shooter, you'll have a million people who have the exact same personality profile who never do anything. And so mm -hmm. there's no predictive power for that. And then the other part is a lot of people have had these same symptoms for years. And so it's like, what's the day where they're going to snap? It's psychiatrists and judges and police don't have any idea. And so restricting somebody's guns for 14 days or even six months, which never happens, is not going to change that a lot of the issues here are longstanding characterological personality issues. And so in that regard, it's just not effective in a way. And then you, on top of that, put that places like El Paso County, where this shooting happened, they, they basically have a stance against enforcing gun laws. That's like that on the books. And so it just the, it's just the numbers are make this impossible. And, and even if you look at how many red flag laws have been, you know, it's like 12 over a, you know, over 
the years in this county because they don't enforce them. And so it's just like the minute you start, I mean, any, any one of these factors would have been devastating for this case. Um, but when you add them all up, it's just the system is not going to work to prevent this kind of violence. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at, right? That That's kind of where we're at. <laughs> so we're just going to live with this. Like it's, I mean, like we are, we're just, I mean, this is a part of what it means to live in America is that anytime that you leave your home or even if you're in your home, you know, the probability of you being shot to death is is pretty fucking high. Like, I I, I just I, I don't. I'm at a I honestly <laughs> this doesn't usually happen to me interviewing you. I'm at a loss. I just I'm at a loss to to figure out like the path forward if I, I don't know what I don't know what it is Jonathan I could answer that two ways I mean mass shootings obviously are a, they were a reflection of our broken political system because a functioning society will come together across the table to say man our citizens are dying and what can we do we are dying and what can we do to address this so that we can be more safe a communal framework um where people are saying, okay, here are my rights, but here is your need for safety. Let's work it out. And there are so many other examples of societies that are not in wartime figuring that out. I don't think that's where we're at because maybe we are gearing toward some more conflict. But in the meantime, our political system does not allow for that kind of negotiation. So mass shootings are symptoms. A red flag law is not going to fix the structural problems of our country right now. And I think that's that's really kind of where we're at. I mean, again, there are so many models of countries that have gotten to this point and, <laughs> you know, taken another turn in a different direction. So it's not like there are no models for it, but it's just that part of that issue is that. And then I also just cannot help thinking if the tables are turned, right? Um, I mean, imagine a transgender, somebody in a drag show took an AR-15 and went into a country bar and killed a lot of people. Like, would we be saying, oh, this is just America? No. The the, the fact that this is violence that's being done toward um, already at-risk communities um, really is part of the level of helplessness that we're feeling. And I can just say, you know, I mean, I think there should be no subway crime, but if you turn the tables, you know, black person pushes someone on the subway, it's it, the racial categories are made so clear, right? Um, this is minoritized violence against the majority group. But when the tables are turned, as they so often are in these mass shootings, um, it th then we get the helplessness narrative. So this plays out around the narratives of, of America right now. But it's like, I I agree, right, uh, to some extent. But then I look at Parkland and I look at Newtown and I look at these places where mass shootings have entered into white suburbia, well-off places. And I'm like, and if that is not the triggering, if it's if it if 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 the narrative can persist that well it's the crime that happens in the cities it's this it's these it's these marginalized communities that are the ones that are affected so i don't have to care because it's not me but that's not the case jonathan it's right. like the 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 mass shootings spread 
well far outside of what has been designated as okay for violence to occur in. South side of Chicago, we don't give a fuck about, right? Because, oh, it's always, there's always a shoot 'em up happening there. But this isn't the case anymore and hasn't been for so long. So my last question for you is that like, if, if white suburban women continue to vote in mass with Republicans and their numbers continue to increase with Republicans and it's their kids that are going into the new towns and the parklands like, and, and the UVA campus and all of these, like what is going to get these people to care? Well, as we know, as I know from my work in dying of whiteness, um, all roads lead back to more guns. I mean, people see guns as their protectors. So after mass shootings, we see pretty predictable trends where people on the liberal side of the divide will support more regulation, like we're talking about here. And people on the conservative side will say, well, this shows that you need more guns. Now, it's pretty laughable. I mean, imagine being in a dance club with soundproof walls that's totally dark and strobe lights. Um, imagine everybody in that club having a gun when something like this breaks out. Um, Jesus. You know, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. And so, but, but again, there is a divide that is reinforced and reified every time something like this happens. And so part of the issue is we just have completely different experiences of this, but, but I would say just going back to my point before and not, I mean, I agree. There's so many mass shootings. There again, there's more than one mass shooting a day. Um, but 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 can you think of a mass shooting? And I'm sure there is. I'm just not thinking of it right now. Where somebody from a disadvantaged group kills a lot of people from the majority group. Um, so I understand Parkland and um, Sandy Hook, all those things. I mean, those led to more guns and more gun rights and ideas of oh, you can't be safe in your school. Um, but, I, but I would also say, again, there's, you can't really set any trend really, except to say that there is also a case of the kind of message of violence toward disadvantaged groups being held as a kind of logical extension of America and violence and gun culture. I guess, you know, my feeling is that no one is held accountable right? The gun manufacturers aren't held accountable. The politicians that stoke violence and say that Democrats are trying to kill us and call LGBTQ people pedophiles and groomers. So the violence that's taken out against them is justified um, because you're trying to save the children. Like I just like somewhere at some point, the cyclical nature of this violence has to end. And but yet we've been having this conversation for close to 30 years since Columbine and, and it hasn't ended. It's just gotten worse. And so I, I'm like, at this point, I don't know how folks that are working like you have for your career to end gun violence and mass shootings, like how you continue, because I just don't red flag laws ain't it. Right. And that's what everybody was, was pinning their hopes and prayers on is that, okay, well, we'll compromise on this thing. And the last two shootings over the last two weeks have shown us that that's not the case. So I'm just confused about where we go. Chaos or community, really, honestly, (laughs) to think of Martin Luther King. Um, I hope that I'm providing framework for by people yeah. at some point will come to the table. And if not, that I'm 
chronicling demise. I mean, it's <laughs> it's one of those two things, and it depends what day you ask me. You know, so yeah, <laughs> Caught chaos our community. I mean, that is that is the ultimate question um, that we need to face, that we need to ask, and I and I don't think enough people are asking it. As always, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Woke AF. I, I don't know when we'll ever have a conversation that makes us feel like we are winning, but today is clearly not that day. But I appreciate you continuing to show up each and every week to provide context and, and value to our listeners. Thank you so much. And these are the conversations we really should be happening having after mass shootings. So I, I'm very grateful in return. Thanks, Jonathan. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.